You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Arma Energy, presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best, motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Just One Helmets, W Wheels, and Bill's Pipes. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got a very special guest known as Scott Wallenberg of RacerX. Scott, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for making the time to uh, come on the show. I know you're a super busy guy, and uh, thank you for making the time. Oh, I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Um, it's always fun to be able to talk to and people that think and like the same things that I do, and I think a lot of your listeners probably do, considering motocross, hockey, music, um, yeah, and magazines. <laughs> Absolutely. All three of which uh, very uh, Canadian pastimes as uh, up till uh, not too recently, uh, the majority of uh, Canadians got most of their motocross uh, knowledge. In fact, most of the world got their motocross knowledge through magazines and uh, we're following these series through uh, which uh, still to this day, the, like, it's hard to get the... Uh, the outdoor series on uh, on TV up here, so uh, we we still use your your magazine to uh, to follow the series quite closely, especially back in Supercross in the early two thousands when uh, we wouldn't see the, the results until uh, the website brought it out the very next day. Well, it's funny you should say that. I can remember waiting for results for phone calls from people that were in Europe to tell us how we did at the Motocross of Nations. Uh, yeah. Waiting, waiting a week for cycle news to come out or two weeks for that. Um, heck, waiting for Carlsbad to be on television to watch it once a year to see what happened there. So uh, do you remember the 900 phone number you could call to get race results? Uh, Pro just, race. And now we can get them instantly. In fact, I always try not to look at my phone so that I can't get the results right away so I could watch it on television if I have a chance later or something like that, put it on the DVR. But oh, I'm in the exact same position. If I'm not able to watch the race live, I have to uh, either like close down those apps that uh, that would keep me updated. Otherwise, I'll always end up uh, opening them by habit and then uh, seeing the... Uh, Seeing a racer X post where it says uh, who won a heat race or who won the, the main events and a uh, little bit of a spoiler for me, but uh, it's always good to have those uh, those that information at uh, at your fingertips because nowadays if you don't have uh, the race at, at at your hands, uh, you can still follow uh, either uh, like racer X online on Twitter and literally get a play by play of the entire race. Right, right, amazing stuff. Uh, certainly when I got started in the sport, the first motocross race that I went to, I grew up in the Chicago area, 
Okay. And my dad was a television repairman, and he had a shop that sold Zenith and Philco and RCA and these old brands. And he actually rode motorcycles before World War II, built his own bike, or out of parts, he built a bike, but paid $5 to buy a Harley and bushel baskets and figured out how to put it together. And But after the war, he forgot all about motorcycles and kind of stuck to his business side and raising a family. And then in 1967, I think, or 68, he traded an 8-track tape player, if you remember those. He traded an 8-track tape player for a Honda 50. And he got brought on the Honda 50, and it just rekindled his whole love of motorcycles. And then things rapidly spun after that. He, wow. I was 10 years old then, or okay. 11. Yep. And he wound up getting a bigger bike and started going to watch the flat track races and uh, didn't know what motocross was, actually. And then I remember the date, it's etched in my mind forever, November 2nd, 1969. A friend of my dad said, hey, let's go up to Wisconsin, a couple hour drive, and go see this thing called a Moto X. It's going to be this big race, and there's going to be people from Europe there and the whole thing. So we jumped in the car, all of us, and <laughs> drove up there, and it was an Interam event with okay. Torsten Hallman and Bank Dahlberg and yeah. Oki Janssen and those guys, and it was just like the greatest thing that I've ever seen in my life. And I said, I said I've got to do this. I, I have to be a motocross guy. And by the bug badly. Badly, badly. We wound up going to a farmer's field that was supposed to be holding a race just to watch, and the uh, races were canceled. They moved to another place, but the track was still sitting there, and my dad was on his street bike then, and I was just a kid riding on the back, and his friend had a Honda 305, and my dad had this Suzuki X6 Hustler street mm-hmm. bike, but my dad goes, well, we're here. We might as well see if we could ride around the track. So he started riding around this, more of a rough scrambles, but it was a motocross. Um, And he thought, wow, this is really, really fun. And then uh, after about a half hour or so, this tractor comes or a pickup truck comes, and it's the owner of the property goes, what the heck are you guys doing here? My dad goes, well, we came here for the race, and... Nobody was here, so we thought we could ride around. The guy goes, well, you can't ride around here unless you pay me. And so my dad goes, how much? He goes, two bucks each. Well, that was fine with my dad. Can we come back and do it again? Oh, yeah, as long as you pay me. So we brought a bunch of little Honda 50s the following weekend and rode around, and I got to ride around because I had one, and and that was it. And So we saw the big guys, and we saw what this motocross was and it just really really hit us hard so naturally you start to get a real bike or what we thought were real dirt bikes then and um got started so my you know my goal then was to be a professional motocross racer i wanted to do that and the other thing was that my dad's 
spoke a little bit of Swedish. And so we met these top Swedish guys, and they took a liking to my dad, who spoke a little bit of Swedish, and they thought that was kind of cool. So they were our first motocross heroes, Torsten Hallman and Bank Dahlberg, the Swedish guys. For and sure, later, that's uh, Arne Kring and stuff like that. Arne Kring. So it turned out that in later years when they came over to the States to ride the Midwest rounds, uh, Torleif Hansen stayed at our house. We got to go to where they were setting up the bikes during the week and just completely uh, immersed ourselves in the whole Swedish motocross thing. And, of course, I had to have the the right gear, the Torsten Hallman clothing, wherever I could f- afford it to get the new gloves and the chest protectors. And um, I had always dreamed about being a, a Hallman-sponsored rider, and later I did get to ride for Torsten Hallman and, and wear their gear and um, just keep working up the ladder. For sure. In motocross, and at the same time, I got involved with a brand of bikes made in Sweden called Monarchs. They were they only lasted a few years, but Marty Smith was a Monarch factory rider That's before me. Uh, Marty Motes rode a Monarch. Um, Danny Turner. A lot of guys did race that bike for a couple of years. It was the premier bike in the 125 class in 72 and 73. And then, of course, the Japanese invasion took over. But... Yeah, um, I, as soon as the uh, the TMs kind of came into things, uh, it was lights out. Well, you could get, I mean, a Monarch at the time, the top of the line Monarch was fourteen ninety five or thirteen ninety five, fourteen hundred bucks US to get one, and they were competitive right out the box. But you could buy an Elsinore for seven ninety five and then spend a few hundred bucks with porting, pipe, carb and stuff from FMF and DG and yep. really make that thing go. And so that's really what what kind of killed it for the 125 thing. How and many then, downpipes did you replace in your uh, uh, in your career? <laughs> you know, the first time we had a downpipe on my dad's CZ, he smashed the bottom of it, and he was trying to figure out how to get that uh, get the dent out, and he actually put a cherry bomb inside the pipe to see if he could blow it out. That's and the he, pipe. He put a he put a tennis ball on one side and jammed it in and something else and man it shot that tennis ball about a hundred feet. <laughs> <laughs> the first potato well, gun. We were yeah, we weren't exactly what you'd call master mechanics. Uh, but trial and kinda, error, I suppose. Kinda got the job done. But oh yeah. I remember one time you talk about downpipes breaking. There was a, a race, a 125 national in Midland, Michigan in 1975. Right. And everybody had Elsinores with downpipes, except for Marty Smith and Tommy Croft on their factory bikes. Well, the gate malfunctioned. And so when they jumped the gate, about 10 Elsinore riders had smashed pipes. Warren Reed, Steve Wise, all the FMF guys did. So there was Donnie Emler running to the truck, carrying five or six pipes in his hands, and quickly with just a spring tool, and it was only held on with two springs in the front and a 12-millimeter bolt holding it onto the frame, 
and he replaced those while the AMA had the stopwatch going, going, you got two minutes to get it. And it, I remember he replaced like 10 downpipes, boom, 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 just like that. That's incredible. Um, it, it'd be amazing to see uh, that the progression of uh, businesses like FMF, knowing full well that uh, uh, you yourself started in this, at the sport at kind of the ground floor of, of its progression here in, uh, in North America, and then seeing a, uh, a young man like Donnie starting out uh, at, at where he started out and to where it's uh, elevated itself to now, knowing full well that the two of you still have a whole lot of passion for the sport. I know the few times that I've had the pleasure of, uh, of talking to uh, um, Donnie, Donnie Emlo, the, the uh, senior, uh, yeah. just the guy just oozes passion for motocross. He's still, yeah. like, every time that I've come over to the shop, he's still there, like, mm-hmm. in the shop doing stuff. Like, he, he just, he's, he's sick for it. He's very hands-on. Uh, we were, my dad and I were the first ever FMF distributors outside of California. No way. Yeah, we were looking for something to do after the European bike thing was was blowing up mm-hmm. to, uh, or, or, Dying, Japanese. rather. Yeah. yeah. And now the term blowing up is it's going great. But back exactly. then it was not great. But <laughs> so we met them in California. I was out there riding and my dad goes, you know, these FMF guys, they're kind of hippies and so forth. But I think that they really know what they're doing. And we could sell these things back in Chicago, these pipes. So we started a deal where they sent us 10 pipes a week and I drove around in my van, visiting motorcycle shops and going to the races, of course, and selling FMF stuff. And interestingly enough, just at that time, a motorcycle paper called Illinois Cycle News just opened up. And my dad said, let's go over there, meet these guys. Maybe we can get a little write-up on our FMF stuff and buy an ad and kind of really get this thing going so we went over there or my dad went there first and they asked him do you know anybody we're looking for a junior advertising sales guy and my dad said well I do know one kid my son he's 18 years old actually I hadn't even turned 18 then um graduated from high school but he goes, he knows a lot of people in the area, and hey, why don't you talk to him about it? So basically, I put together a deal, and that's how I got my start in the publishing industry. No kidding, at a very yeah. young age. And uh, knowing, like, from, from my uh, perspective, selling advertising, uh, one of the more challenging occupations. Well, it was uh, the right place at the right time for me because I had just got my pro license, I was really into it, and I could actually speak the language to the advertisers. Right. And that really, really took off for me. I learned at this little cycle paper everything about putting together a magazine. It was like going to college for magazines. Had to build the ads and build them and collect the money, but also I was a test writer, photos, um, writing stories, articles, taking some pictures myself, not so much, but um, distributing copies of the paper to cycle shops and going to the races. 
So I really learned that I don't care how big you are or how small you are, a magazine goes together a certain way. Somebody's got to write it. Somebody's got to design it. Somebody has to print it. And so all those things I was able to learn. So when the job offer came from dirt bike and motocross action to move to California and work for them, I really had that good background on how, how magazines work. And the fact that I also had a pro license and a top 100 number, raced a Grand Prix, uh, things like that, that guys like Donnie Emler could relate to me. And a lot of the times before, the ad sales guys weren't, weren't really riders, didn't really know the sport. So it was a real good combination for me to be, to be uh, involved in it and on the business side and started my career in the publishing side of the business that way. Unreal, and uh, of course, uh, I gotta think at some po- uh, some point along the lines, the uh, the grit and determination that it takes to be a uh, top flight, top one hundred level uh, motocross racer and motorcycle rider, um, those those traits are going to tr- transfer over to uh, to a sales uh, to a salesman who uh, is rather passionate about uh, his uh, his play. Well, what, funny you should say that. We always used to say. You're only as good as your last race, right? Well, you're only as good as your last issue. And you get it all done, and then you realize, "Uh uh-oh, here comes the next one. Yeah. The next one. And so you do have those benchmarks. People ask me, um, hey, how are you doing? I said, you can always tell how I'm doing. If you can go to a Barnes & Noble or, for your case, a Loblaws or a Walmart, and you find Racer X, and then you pick it up, and it's, it's on the fat side, then you know I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, I'll, I'll have to keep that in mind every time uh, that my my subscription shows up in the mail to uh, to give it an extra squeeze here and there, just to just to kind of like uh, so that I can uh, somehow know how your day is going. Yeah, so far so good. Uh, but it's funny is that the other things that I'm so passionate about, like guitars and and hockey, all kind of have a motocross reason i i got into hockey not as a little kid like you guys and grew up on skates yes i was in the chicago area and yes i loved the blackhawks and uh you know bobby hull and and makita were my heroes then but um i had a friend in high school who knew that i raced i was the only guy that raced motocross in the chicago suburb of evanston uh, 5,000 kids in my high school, and I was the only one who rode a dirt bike. But he knew how crazy I was about it and that you had to train and be in shape, and he was a hockey nut. He goes, why don't you come with me, and you know that skating will be really good for you to stay in shape in the wintertime. And so I started going to rinks. They didn't even have boards and stuff. We just had to shovel it off, and in the springtime you found all the pucks that were lost, when the snow melted, but, but I really got into how cool it was to play ice hockey and joined a house league. Didn't know what offsides were. I knew absolutely nothing about it. I just, but you know how it goes. You start somewhere and I was absolutely just crazy about hockey and played 
until I moved to California. So I played for about three or four years out of high school while I was working at the Cycle Paper. Okay. But when I moved to California, I forgot all about hockey. I mean, the you L.A. Kings were there. Yeah, uh, the L.A. Kings were there. And um, and I think I went to a couple of games or something like that, but it wasn't a real big deal for me. Totally. Until my... Older son, he's 30 now, but he was six years old and playing t-ball, and I was coaching. And one of the kids on the t-ball team said to him, hey, Eric, you should play hockey. I play hockey. And Eric looked at me because I did had taught him how to skate a little bit. And I said, hey, it's a great thing. Um, sure, let's go check it out. So then I wound up... Um, Starting to skate again, pulled my Bauer Black Panthers, if you remember those. I do. Skates out of, out of the attic. I still had them. And I think some old Cooper shoulder pads and elbow pads and stuff. And started playing a little bit of pickup hockey myself, but I wound up coaching his little team. They were just mini mites and mites, five and six and seven. But it was right at the Wayne Gretzky era. When Wayne came to L.A., so and I got to tell you, it was so exciting. Hockey became just the thing in L.A., and people pick up on trends, and in L.A. especially. And all of a sudden, the hottest ticket in town was a Kings ticket, and hotter than the Lakers. I mean, it was hotter <laughs> than the Dodgers. It was a big deal. So it was really fun. And I wound up starting to play again in house leagues and beer leagues, as you guys call them. And, and my son was on a travel team, and we, we went around all over Southern California playing other clubs. And just, just a blast. And so I remember I was 36 years old when I started to play, and I told my friends, boy, if I could play till I'm 40, that would be pretty good. Well, uh, 20 years later, still right. playing. Still love it, and, um, and I'm just real fortunate. Now I have a an 11 year old that's absolutely nuts about hockey, so I got to keep playing so just so I can um, someday him and I can maybe play a little house league together or something. No kidding, and you got to keep selling those advertisements so that you can afford uh, season tickets to the Copperheads or something like that. Yeah, right, right, right. So. But yeah, that was uh, one of my passions is, is playing hockey. I still do. Yeah. And the other one was playing guitars. Playing Another music. thing Absolutely. that I didn't. I want to touch on that. Well, when I was 21 years old, I told my mom, I said, you know what? We all goofed around with guitars early, but I never really, really went at it. Didn't know what a chord was or anything. I said, I really wish I would have stuck with the guitar because I had one and um, lo and behold a week later she gets me a $25 acoustic guitar and a book how to play and while my dad drove to the races to the nationals I started strumming along trying to learn how to play the guitar and so um, that really fueled it and just like anything else you get into it and then it was like man I would play all night just trying to learn to play and and still play now in front of band here and in Boise called the Blues Addicts 
and you've got Blues a show Addict. coming up. Bluesaddicts.com if you're really interested. And we have uh, a CD out of live stuff that we do. Um, our specialty is the Chicago Blues men and Eric Clapton and the Almond Brothers and people like that. And we found a little niche here in Boise, and it's been a lot of fun. That is just, just enough to have fun with it. I already have a job. I don't want another job. I don't want to yeah. get discovered. Somebody asked me that. Hey, man, wouldn't it be great if you could get you got discovered and you could go on tour, maybe be an opening act? And I go, no, I can't afford the pay cut. I don't want to be away from my family. Totally. <laughs> no, no, thanks. I just do it for fun, and when the show is done, I can go. Not have to pack it up and then hit the road to do it again. So. I have friends of mine that do that, and it's a different lifestyle for sure. Absolutely. But, no. Uh, how did uh, the Blues Axe uh, get together as a group? Uh, obviously, uh, you, you guys all enjoy playing with each other and and uh, and, and jamming out. And uh, I know that last night uh, was a rehearsal for uh, this. Later on this month, you've got a, a, a gig at the Sapphire Room. Yes, we have a very special gig there. It's a great room. I met these guys, how it started, I moved to Boise 10 years ago, and I had a little band in L.A. when I lived down there. So when we decided to move to Boise, my wife had lived here before we met. Interestingly enough, her mother worked for O'Neill Motocross and did all the jerseys and did all the lettering on the jerseys for all the O'Neill riders like Jimmy Holly, Goat Brecker, Eric Kehoe, and those guys. Oh, but this was before I didn't know her there, and I uh, we met we met on a blind date, and um, then <laughs> subsequently it all worked out. Got married and decided when the kids came, my two little boys, that we would uh, move to Idaho, and I had never been to Idaho, and I said, well, if it has a good airport and has good hockey. And it has a good music scene, I'll consider it. So we went up, and Western Power Sports is here. And at the time, Scott Goggles was in Sun Valley and Smith. And those, that's only a couple hours away. And Promoto Billet and Recluse Clutch and uh, other companies are here now, Intech, SKF, Fork Seals. So, sure. so when I checked it all out, I go, hey, this could, this could really work out. So we we made the plunge and moved here. So I started going to these open mic nights to meet other musicians. And so I met a couple of guys that liked what I did and I liked how they played and just kind of working that way. It's like going to it's like going to pick up hockey and you want the same thing happened to me too to join a team. I went to pick up hockey first and started to ask around how it works and and got on a team in the house league and got started. The same thing with the band, meeting other guys, going to these jam nights. And we put together about, I think this is seven years now as far as the band will be going into our eighth year. We've had a few lineup changes, and we've added some. Here's another motocross connection. Okay. A world-class horn player. His name is Mikkel Bartal. Well, he's in town, but his daughter raced motocross. Very good in Idaho. And 
a buddy of mine said to me, he goes, hey, you play some music, Scott. There's this girl, her dad, he plays a little music. Maybe you guys should get together. I heard he's really good. Well, I hear that a lot. People go, oh, man, my brother-in-law really knows how to play. He should go up with you guys in that. And um, most of the time it doesn't work out very well. They're not really as good as they may think they are. But Mm -hmm. anyway, I Googled this guy's name, and he's like unbelievable. Played with Doc Severinsen's band and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and he's just like an unbelievable player. So he's... He joins our band whenever he gets a chance, and now he's brought a couple of his fellow horn players, so this big show we have at the Sapphire is going to feature a full eight-piece band. So that, That's uh, incredible. should make it pretty interesting. And, You're looking forward to that, I can tell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's why I try to have these gigs at nice places, big shows, maybe once a month, once every couple of months to rally the troops have a great time, and then when it's done, kick back and go back and play hockey. <laughs> so uh, com- compare a, uh, a, great, uh, a great show uh, with, the, uh, with the Blues Addicts to, uh, to like, um, the moments before you hit the stage. How does that compare to uh, lining up behind uh, a gate uh, on your vintage Montes- or, uh, uh, Monarch? Monarch. Well... Um, I tell you what, a lot of things, a lot of the same feelings go through, uh, that go through your body. You, you start to get psyched up. You start to get butterflies a little bit. Amazingly, for as much as I've raced motocross, I still, when I'm getting ready to line up, even on riding these little vintage bikes and stuff, all those feelings return. You get all wound up a little bit, and you smell the two, especially you smell the two-stroke yeah. oil burning and so forth, and it it takes you back. It really does take you back to those days um, that were just so important, so meaningful, so much fun in your life. I mean, my dad's been gone a long time, but boy, when I get on that bike, I keep thinking he's going to be over there standing there with a cigarette dangling out of his mouth and, a, and his little trelleboard cap on and a chalkboard to give me signals. And so sure, because back in the day, it was, it, was, it was signals, or it was uh, a chalkboard, not uh, the white, the dry erase. Oh, no, no. We had a little chalkboard, and, and when I used to train, he would have two stopwatches so that he could get every lap, and then he would write on the board when I was doing these 40-minute plus two-lap uh, practices, and he'd write on the board every lap, whether I was running slower than the lap before or faster than the lap before or the same, to try and be able to maintain that pace for 40 plus two. And, uh, and he'd, always, he'd write some little comment on there if it was starting to slow down. <laughs> so... So, oh, and uh, obviously all that training uh, culminated to uh, your two professional AMA uh, motocross events that you had competed in 1976, 1977, uh, and thanks, and that's, uh, I get that information thanks to your motocross vault on uh, Racer X oh, Online. Well, uh, I, I got my pro license in 75. My dad, right. actually, I was racing in California in the winter. I had a, a friend's dad sponsored me and his me and his son to live in California 
for four months in a motel kitchenette. He paid for everything because he wanted to see how his son could do against the best at the time. Those were really the best riders were coming from SoCal. So we stayed in this motel kitchenette and raced Friday night at Orange County, Saddleback Saturday, Carlsbad Sunday, and really elevated our game. And that's when I said, okay, I'm ready. I want to get a pro license. At the same time, the AMA announced this new thing called the Amateur National Championships, which is now called the Red Lens. But back then, it was at different places. It didn't just settle into one place. And so my dad said, if you turn pro, you're not eligible for this amateur national thing. And I said, you know what? I want to turn pro. That's what I want to do. That's been my my dream to do it. So I got my pro license. And the first three or four pro races I tried, I didn't make the gate. And I was winning in my area. I was a local hot shoe guy, Wisconsin state champ and things like that. But it's a big, big step from there to the pro level. Just to get on the gate was 80 guys. Top 10 were already pre-qualified, so that left 70 guys going for 30 spots. So, um, and I remember driving all the way from Chicago to Omaha, Nebraska, just to try and get in and not making it, but having the funnest time of my life just to be able to go. Four of us in a van, staying at the Holiday Inn, sharing sharing bed space and sleeping on the floor and and just hanging around with all these top guys, Marty Smith and Bob Hanna and Tony D. And Anyway, in August, August of 75, we drove to a track, Brewston Mills, West Virginia, and it turned out, ironically, that the promoter of that track was Davey Coombs' dad, Dave Coombs Sr., so that's the first one that I made the gate. I wrote a 10-minute qualifier. I didn't get in, and then they had 40 guys on the line taking four spots for the last chance. And I think I got third and made it in. So I was really thrashed. It was 90 degrees. Humidity was way up there. So when I did finally get into the 40 minutes plus two, I got lapped by Marty Smith two times. But you know what? I made the show. So No kidding. And that's a lot of someone like the, there's not an unlimited names on the, the Racer X Vault. And uh, you yourself can say that uh, you, you, you were in there. You went in the show. And uh, your first race uh, that you, you competed in uh, on the gate that uh, Bob Hanna uh, fed you your lunch. Right, right. But then... Then you get better. And then the support class is where I did a lot of really great results in the support class. The Nationals, too. I did a few. I'm in the vault. I got to race a Grand Prix, which is pretty much a highlight of my career, because that was another dream is to race a Grand Prix motocross. And I never made it to Europe to race a Grand Prix motocross, but I did uh, race the U.S. GP at Mid-Ohio in 77. Okay. And so uh, so I'm very, very lucky, very blessed that things worked out. Um, but like anything else, it's hard work 
to try and get there, but it was fun work. I mean, I could not imagine anything more fun than riding motocross and trying to get better and better. Yeah. Once you turn, totally agree. Once you turn pro, it actually is not quite as fun. There's a little more pressure. You got sponsors. Yeah, you're trying to do well. Um, it wasn't like high school where all I could think about during school was sat Sunday's race. And all you had to worry about is get decent grades and ride. <laughs> yeah, really. I, I, I always talk, joke with my dad about that back in the day. Like, I, I'm a bricklayer now, and I look at pictures from back in the day, and I'm like, that's those, those are the days that all that mattered was going fast on a dirt bike. That's literally... That yep. was it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same thing. Same thing. And you had your friends that, I mean, they're friends of mine for life that we made going to the races. And they lived hundreds of miles yes. away, but you met at the races. And you parked together at the races and camped over at times and that kind of thing. And it's just, uh, it was just a magical time. And my mom would go and she helped with scoring and we members of the club and um yeah, it was just a, the whole family thing. People don't realize just how what a family sport it can be. Cowboy Kenny Bartram here. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to commercial, but don't go away. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat-absorbing liner, and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with Oats and Bran. Oats and Bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. X-Racing Man. But more than Fox, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with Bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with Bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Ooh, that tastes what a delicious. Cereal bees, Emigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat ball. When it comes to helmets, there is just one. The helmet brand, that is. Just One Helmets is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses Just One? Well, for starters, Tim Geiser, winner of the Italian round in MX2, David Philipparts, Vicky Golden, Trevor Reese, as well as David Pulley. And you know what? So do I. I choose Just One Helmets because they are simply the safest, lightest, and most comfortable lid available. Want to know more about Just One Helmets? Check them out on the web at www.justonehelmets.com. Find out about the J12, the J32, and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to 
www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. Much 2014 X Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear offs, zip off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys who are building wheels for Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown full rebuild on your forks or, or shock, call up Roy Borden today at 204-633-2722. Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone-look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to Bill'sPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Lidinovich, Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, 
Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cole. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle. Absolutely. Motocross is, the, in my opinion, one of the most ultimate family uh, sports. It, it often takes an entire weekend, but you get the whole family out camping, and you go the night before, and uh, it's it's a really, really like uh, honestly, like the the image that most people would have of motocrossers is these, these badass kids that uh, kind of rebel without a cause thing. But it really couldn't be further from the truth. You have a lot of uh, um, just great family atmospheres, really supportive people, and I firmly believe that as something that I heard from one of the very first uh, motocross videos I ever watched is that if you've got a, a, a flat tire on the side of the road in the middle of the rain, the first person that's going to pull over and, and stop to help you fix it has probably got two bikes in the back of his truck. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, my dad was so helpful to people. One time, my top competitor, I mean, one of my top competitors, his bike, he was riding a Monarch as well. In his bike, the tie down broke and it flew off the side of the the car and got damaged on the way to the track. Well, my dad had all the parts and pieces to fix them. And I think he probably beat me that day, but, uh, that's just how motocross people are. You just help a guy when he needs it. Totally. So, yeah, no, I, uh, I had a, a backup bike. My 125 was sitting in the truck. We got a kid next to me, a good friend of mine. His 125 broke down. I was on a 250F because this is 2006 and one and two strokes are dead technology, apparently. Uh, and, um, the very next moto, I kid you not, it was coming into the last last lap. I, I look at, I look ahead of me and what do I see? But my 125, one half step ahead of me in the moto. So uh, I had to pour the, the coals to the 250F to make sure that uh, I didn't get beaten by my own bike that I had cast aside uh, um, in in favor of uh, the 250F. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I would. my dad would have let me hear the end of it if I had let uh, the uh, the so-called dead technology right. uh, beat me hey. on that day. Why did we buy that new bike? Because Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I put more time on the 125 now than I did then uh, because uh, I got her all freshened up and uh, oh, it's nothing better than some uh, some Caster 927 and some race fuel and uh, a 125 at peak horsepower. Oh man, I love riding 125s. I, I love to ride my vintage bike too. I To me, and I've talked to some other guys that feel the same way, those bikes feel so comfortable to ride it's like i'm just going back into a into my easy chair it just yeah it's like putting on those those uh those hockey skates that you've had forever your feet just slide in they go exactly where they're supposed to be and everything's good same thing it's funny you mentioned about skates too how how scary it is and i think it's the same way with motocross boots now and that Mm -hmm. is it's a big big expense and a scary thing to get new boots, to get new skates. Right. Because you can't take them back. No, you cannot. And you got to try them. So what's going to make you decide to get Easton's or Graf's or Bauer's? I mean, if you've been a Bauer guy forever, then, but you're seeing those ads and you're seeing the players that are using them and the endorsements and you're like, ah, 
gosh, I wonder what those are like. Gee, that looks pretty good, but <laughs> scary deal. Oh, absolutely. I have Bauer guy from uh, from uh, from Mighty Mites and then fairly eight. Yeah. Age of four years old. This year, bought my very first pair of graphs, and uh, I, I've obviously, of course, graph skates known for putting you into more of a forward uh, skating position. Totally weirded out by it in the store, but they fit right. Yeah. And to me, uh, it, that's just the old school skate construction uh, that uh, that I've been looking for. Uh, it's a kind of a classic look, and it's uh, it's heavy duty construction on a pair of skates. They're going to last me ten years. I went out and spent seven hundred and fifty dollars on a pair of hockey skates couldn't be more happy and uh, i love my graphs well i'll tell you a funny story about graphs and <clears throat> go ahead about well let's see 2008 do you remember we used to put on a tournament for hockey players at the big trade show at indianapolis i do and i wish it was still going on yeah i do too well it turned out that there was a guy who worked for Graf and was also a mechanic. I think his name was Ty. Okay. Okay. So Ty, Ty's boss at Graf is a Supercross fan. And he heard about the tournament and he asked me, he goes, would you be interested in wearing a pair of Graf skates at the tournament with Racer X logos and stuff like that on them? And I go, yeah, I've never tried craft skates, but I've heard good things. So anyway, they took measurements of my feet and sent them because I'm I'm in Idaho and they're up wherever Graf is located. I can't remember. Uh, they're in Toronto. Uh, it's a Canadian com- It's a Canadian-owned company. Yeah. They're uh, it's made in Canada, believe it or not. Okay, right. So anyway, this pair of skates comes to me with the racer. I got to send you a picture of it if you haven't seen them. With yeah. the Racer X logo and my number 13 on them and Racer X on the back, and they are just the bomb. They're like eight, seven, $800 skates. Mm-hmm. And so I'm all ready to use them for, for the tournament. They come in, and I, had, uh, I blew my ACL out and never got to use them the first year. So they sat for a whole year. While I did all my reconstruction and everything's been great, knock on wood, no problem. And so I'm wearing them, and they are fabulous skates. And I've had them for, well, I play at least at least once a week, and I I don't stop in the summer. I keep going because I'm too old to stop. I'm afraid that once I stop, I don't know. But I've got a lot of use on those skates, and they have not broken down at all. Yeah, it's. What's with the number thirteen, though? I gotta ask. I got uh, for a number, uh, especially in motocross, has uh, been a lot of people shy away from it. Uh, all the best to Jesse Nelson this year, but uh, we've seen some <laughs> well, that's, some bad bad scenarios with the thirteen. Why do you love that uh, that uh, notorious number? Okay, I'll tell you what happened. My very first real motocross bike was a nineteen sixty nine Saks one twenty five from Germany, okay. leading link suspension. We bought it used for 400 bucks, and the bike was owned by a sign painter. The guy was a, a professional sign painter. So it had beautifully painted number plates, and these were the days of pie plates and duct ta- or electrical tape numbers. They didn't have, 
You couldn't buy pre-cut numbers. You could get them no, at a hard... Just Mac tack and get creative. Yeah. So this guy, and we had to have red plates with white numbers in our district. That was the 125 class. Red plate, white numbers. So he had professionally painted number 13 on his bike. So when we brought the bike home, I said to my dad, I said, hey, what about that number 13? I think maybe we should change it. And he, he goes, whoa, 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 Scotty. If you think we're going to take those beautiful, professionally painted number plates off that bike to put on some kind of pie plate, whatever, you're nuts. Number 13's your number, son. Stick with it. And Keep that going. <laughs> oh, so I've had that number since I was 13 years old. And even when I applied for a pro number, a three-digit number, I asked for a number with 13, and I got 613. So a lot of my pro pictures, you can see where I've got number 613 on it. But So now for hockey, for everything, number 13 is it has been fair enough so so then you, you must have been a fan of jimmy dakota who's coming uh coming through the ranks because the kid uh brandishes uh your number he was he was a 613 i remember giving him a little a little shout when i saw that and I said hey fellow 613 and um he got a kick out of that but, no, I, think, uh, I believe uh 613 is an area code down there is it not you know it might be i really don't know that's fair a good enough. question I guess I'd have to look it up. Let's see what city that might be. Area code. I'm in front of my computer now. Area code 613. Uh, oh, is it Canada? Oh, then no. That, uh, he's, he's from Massachusetts. So, uh. Where he's from, but I'm saying is the area code 613 is in Ontario. Oh, fair enough. I, you know what? I think that might be Toronto. Because I know they have more than one uh, area right. code. Right. Manitoba, area. all of Manitoba has one area code. Yeah, and Boise, and Idaho does too, 208. Yeah. Here it says area code 613 and overlay area code 343 are area codes for Ottawa and surrounding eastern Ontario, Canada. Okay, there you go. That's there you awesome. Go. Uh, Who knew? The 613, and uh, and you look good on the bike, man. You've got great style, and uh, um, and and you look really comfortable riding a motorcycle. Um, how often do you get out now? And um, like uh, when you do ride, it was is it modern bikes? Is it the the Monarch? Uh, what are you most comfortable on? Well, this year I raced more this year than I have in many many years. I rode the Monarch at the big. Boise Interam. We have okay. the Racer X Interam in Boise every April, part of the Pacific Northwest Vintage Motocross Series. It's like a 12 race series up here. Yep. Very popular. Keeps growing like crazy. And so I raced that bike, and I have a dear friend that allows me to race his 79 250 Honda Red Rocket, and also the Ultimate ultimate vintage motocross bike is a 1981 490 mako okay and if, you, if you've ever ridden one of those bikes they are they are just incredible from the engine to the handling the suspension so this year i raced the, the mako the monarch the honda and went to 
four vintage events, plus I fulfilled my dream. I raced a motocross in Sweden this summer, and really? I raced I raced a Monarch 125, a Swedish motocross bike at the biggest vintage motorcycle event in Sweden, the 50th anniversary of this event. And um, it was an absolute bucket list deal. Really? To go there, these guys put together a bike. The engine was the sister to the engine that I have, the Marty Smith factory Monarch motor mm-hmm. that Mar- Marty himself never got to ride because he switched to Honda before the the engine showed up. Yep. And so we are in the process of rebuilding a bike for Marty Smith to ride with all those specs so he can ride the bike he never got to try. No kidding. Our, I'm sure he's dying to know. He's pretty interested in it. So we're almost done with it. We've been getting it together. So... Um, as far as riding modern bikes, some, some dual sport things. I have a friend with a KTM 500. I don't have a modern motorcycle in my garage right now between my hockey, yeah. my son's hockey, my other son's football and that, and my band. I just haven't found, and the travel for Racer X to go to trade shows and races and that. You know, the fitness level to race modern motocross at a competitive level, you really got to do it a lot. Oh, totally. Otherwise, you're just really frustrating yourself because you know you could do a lot better if you were in shape, but where are you going to find the time to get in shape and ride a lot? Whereas if I ride a vintage bike, I can pretty much just line up and five-lap moto on a pretty smooth track yes there's only four inches of travel on those bikes but uh you i can get through it okay without dying so uh, that's kind of where my where my riding's been lately and of course sorry sorry to interrupt you there but of course like um I find uh, with your your age group and um, and uh, still having a passion for motocross, uh, I find that there's there's more of a drive towards vintage than ever, uh, knowing knowing the fact that now you guys are of the age you can afford these machines to make them possibly what you always wished they would be uh, in your in your prime, and uh, it's also kind of the, the safest way to go do so because uh, the bikes kind of they don't quite do the same uh, maneuvers that the bikes of today do. If my my sons have ridden, they've had PW80s and PW50s and ride. They hit, didn't hit them like my one who was so crazy about hockey. But if they did decide to say, Dad, well, I really want to race, I definitely would get them started in racing vintage motocross first. And um, because it's, it's just great, and it, you just learn to ride that way. Get used yeah. to the competition. It's kind of like... Um, you guys are a little bit different in Canada. You can get started in hockey and go right out the back door kind of thing, and you just kind of, you're almost forced into it in a way, putting on your skates, and you just can go and do it, and it's not a real, it's not a real difficult thing. If If you bring a little kid out there and he only goes for five minutes just to get started, right? Right, exactly. That's a backyard rink for eight years of my life. Okay, versus like when I took my little guys to the rink at first when they were four and five, and 
they, the experience was not that great. They didn't really, and it's hard. It's hard to skate at first. Totally. And so, I mean, my back, I mean, bending over to hold them up, oh, my gosh. It was like, this is not easy. But we learned to play driveway hockey later, a couple of years after that, and that's they just got the feel for the game itself first and how much fun it was to shoot pucks and hit them in the net and go get them and stick handle and just you're playing. Yes, you're not playing it on ice, but you get that experience of playing. And so now now when they hit the ice or the one, it's just like, okay, I know how the game goes and I know what you're supposed to do. Now I just need to learn how to skate better. Exactly, and knowing that the, it's a fun uh, sport to do kind of makes you want to learn how to skate that much more. Exactly. It's like, oh, gosh, if I could skate better, I would have gotten that puck. I would have been able to catch that guy. And so all of a sudden, it, it, so I think the same thing would happen with motocross is you learn to ride around the track, and it's not so challenging on a vintage thing that you're uh, – you know what I mean, with the big jumps and so forth. But maybe I'm just being a careful dad. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I, I know I've always enjoyed getting on uh, on a uh, on a vintage bike. I've been able to ride a couple of uh, uh, early 70s uh, Osas and, and stuff like that. A couple of the local guys have some bikes. And uh, uh, look, looks like we're going to have a vintage bike uh, in, the, in the garage by the end of this month. Um, oh, yeah? I'm really excited about uh, finally going to be able to, uh, to, to make that happen for my old man. Um, but uh, as far as mo- motocross and music go, I can't imagine that uh, those two things don't uh, find themselves predominant in someone's life that he doesn't come across the, the likes of Lyle Lovett on a, on a, on a regular basis. Uh, I'm sure the two of you could probably bench race about uh, music and moto uh, pretty much nonstop. You know, I met Lyle three years ago. It was in the summer of July, let's see, July 2012. I was listening to a radio show called Bike Week Radio down in Southern California, and he was a guest on the show, and Brock Lover of motocross fame was the host of the show. And apparently Brock had met Lyle at a motocross of nations or a European motocross race a long time ago. Lyle happened to be in Europe for a tour, had a free afternoon, went to the motocross, a couple of American guys chatting, and they got to be friends. So Lyle's on the show, and he talked about how he had a set of riding gear always with him in his tour bus, just in case. So I looked on his schedule, and I see that he's coming to Boise, Idaho, of all places, uh, not too much farther than than what the radio show is on. And I kind of gave a shout-out to Brock and saying, hey, if Lyle's interested, maybe I could set up a ride for him when he when he rolls through Boise. Well, it, it worked out that way. It actually had a, a, f- a free day in his schedule, and we took a local Husky dealer, brought out a couple of bikes, and a, a friend of mine let me borrow his his uh, 500 KTM, and nice. we did a ride to Idaho City, which hosts the six days qualifier from Boise. Pretty good, pretty good ride. A good 100-mile ride. And... Lyle is a great rider. 
he stands up everywhere. I thought, I said, did you go to the Marty Tripe School of Motocross or something? He is um, really a great rider. And we paralleled on so many levels. He grew up working at a bike shop just like I did. He used to ride a bus 30 miles to go to work for nothing, just to sweep the floors at this bike shop called Cycle Shack in Houston. He was so passionate about bikes. So after working there for a full year, when he turned 16, he was old enough to actually get paid legally. They gave him a Husky 125 for his one-year service to the shop. And he still owns that motorcycle. And he raced, no way. And he raced Pentons, and he raced, and I have pictures of him, but uh, riding on his on his uh, Husky, and yeah, we, we just, we hit it off and didn't even really talk about music so much, really. I mean, it's his job, and motorcycles are my job, and, and so it was kind of an interesting thing. He loves to talk about motorcycles. During every race, he texts me when he's watching either on his tour bus, on the satellite, or at his house, he watches every Supercross race, every outdoor national, the GPs that are on TV, and and we text back and forth about that, and he's just crazy about the bikes. But he's been really nice to me and uh, let me use one of his songs on my album, and he's, uh, he's just really a genuine, down-to-earth guy who loves motocross like we all do. That's incredible. Uh, and uh, before I let you go, and uh, I also, uh, before uh, I absolutely, before I let you off the phone, I do have to thank uh, Dan Greery for setting this up. Uh, huge, huge thanks to him to uh, for to connecting the two of us yeah. so that I could uh, conduct this interview. And uh, uh, I know he he did set you up with a pretty sweet look, uh, basically head to toe for that uh, that monarch. Yeah, he did. Talk about that a little bit. He recreated the helmet that I raced with the Monarch Factory helmet, which my helmet still exists. I sold it in 1975 like an idiot, but who, you know, who cared back then yeah. about this stuff? And the guy who has it, he still has it. He let me borrow it once, but he doesn't want to get rid of it. He kept three things from his motorcycle career. He kept his first trophy, he kept that helmet, and he kept the pins that were in his leg on the operation that he had when he broke. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, Dan's got a, a special, very special collection. He's a passionate uh, enthusiast and really just had a ball with, with him. I was able to help him out and find some little tidbits that he was looking for for his museum. And um yeah, that was really nice of him to put us together, and I'm, I'm glad that we did. And I feel honored that you would let me uh, talk this much. Oh. Hey, man, like, it, this has been really cool. And the, like, I don't think uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not going to let you get off by uh, just having coming on here once and chatting about motocross. I think we've only just scratched the surface of, of the type of bench racing that we can do. Um, but the last question that I had for you, uh, and I know this might be a hard one, but uh, What's what's the greatest thing that the sport of motocross has given to you? Oh gosh. Sorry. That's a fantastic question. It's hit me on so many levels of my life as I 
talked about the relationship that I had with my father and with my family, uh, that bond is incredible that it did. It, I won't say that I was lost at all, but um, I had no idea what I wanted to do in life before I started riding motorcycles. And then while I was riding them, then I knew that I had this thing about motocross and that I wanted to be a professional racer and do the thing. And then it turned out that I was able to base my career in publishing on motorcycle racing magazines because of it. So I guess you know, motocross has done everything for me. And my... Um, and the fact that my my dear wife's mom was involved in the sport at O'Neill and that is just like so she understood what's going on too um and how important this this stuff is and i just think it's uh i just i really do owe my owe my whole uh kind of being to the sport well that's 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 off that's a that's a huge testament to uh the power of uh, the passion of motocross. And I always say that uh, motocross is a passion sport. Yeah. Anyone who's willing to stay in the sport for a, a long period of time is uh, not only willing to cough up some serious dollars along the way, but uh, but does so with pure passion. And that's why uh, we have such a hard time getting away from the sport. And that's why uh, the, the fans of the sport have allowed uh, publications like Racer X to release their 200th issue yeah, this amazing. month and uh i really got to congratulate you on that one and i hope it's a thick one for you well thank you very much yeah it's looking pretty good i uh it's funny about racer x and the passion that they have for this sport davy coombs was a top motocross guy himself ktm factory raced some supercrosses in europe had had that window opened up for him nicely and then he got into into a into uh, actually somebody hit him in a car and broke his leg and that window closed up and his father said to him uh davy obviously we got to look at something else for your for your livelihood and he enrolled him at west virginia university wv in a journalism degree and he got his start that way and started with a little newspaper covering his local district in pennsylvania and west virginia I think it was District 6 or District 5 newspaper. And it was just called the Racing Paper. And then Davey, whose who's dad, by the way, was a, a very top-notch musician himself, a bass okay. player who played with Seals and Crofts and some other big-name guys before they got really big, put out albums. And actually, I did some playing with Davey's dad, uh, got to understand I'm 10 years older than Davey. And so when I'm 25 years old and Davey's 15, we're not exactly hanging around together, but I was so much. around with Davey's parents and they were customers of mine at dirt bike. So when Davey was moving up with this paper and then it became racer X and it was just on newsprint and everybody in the industry loved it. It was very funny and irreverent and the evil can evil stuff and all the crazy things they did. And so I'm friends with the Coombs family and I'm working for Motocross Action and Dirt Bike, which are pretty much the kingpins of the of the industry. Yeah. And Davey says to me, I've got this idea. I want to turn 
Racer X into a glossy magazine. And I go, oh, man, Davey, I don't know. I I can tell you this, that if it's another Southern California Me Too test-oriented magazine, I don't think you have a chance. But if it's something different that has a niche and the industry likes it, you you could have a possibility of making it happen. So he goes, oh, I've got this idea, personality magazine, kind of like People magazine for the sport of motocross. I think it can go, but I need the money to launch it. So he got on an airplane and flew to Southern California and went to the top 10 motocross companies like No Fear, Oakley, Fox, and Alpine Stars and others looking for investment money. Mm -hmm. And they all said, you know, Davey, it's a great idea and we'll maybe we can buy some ads and help you along, but as far as actual investing into the magazine, sorry, no way. Not one taker. Oof. So he, That's heartbreaking. See, it was heartbreaking for him, and he flew home, and he told his parents about what, what it was, and this was in 1997, and... Um, or maybe 90, yeah, about 97 it was. So his parents funded the very first issue of the magazine out of their own no way. It's because printers are not giving you credit on a brand new magazine, I can tell you that. No, for sure not. But and, it, uh, I'm fairly certain that Eric Johnson wrote uh, 90% of the articles in the magazine. Yeah, I, I, I have a copy <laughs> of that cover, and I do have the first issue, although I didn't work on it. But, but at the 1998 Indie Trade Show, there walked in Davy Coombs with that magazine, and I'm telling you, the industry flipped out over it. They thought it was so cool. And... Of course, I'm working for Motocross Action, and and uh, we liked it too. We liked, although it was kind of, kind of in a way, it kind of kicked us in the teeth a little bit because they were doing a lot of those personality stories that we would have liked to have run, but we didn't really have the room for. Because when you're in a format of testing and product evaluations and things like that, it doesn't leave as much room or some of that other stuff that you'd like to do. But I said to myself, I said, geez, that Davy Coombs, he pulled it off. He pulled it off. Right. And um, so I was really proud and kind of a little bit jealous, too, because, wow, um, he really did it. So it wasn't, um, but Davy learned a real valuable lesson after the first issue well, you spend your whole life on your first issue, <clears throat> but now you've got two months later. At that time, it was bi-monthly. you got to do it again. For sure. You're only as good as your last issue. You're only as good as your last podcast. But you only have two issues to do it. You know, I mean, two months of time now. Yeah. So totally. he'll admit it to you if you talk to him. The second issue was not as good as the first issue. Now, his father at that time was diagnosed with, with leukemia and was, was passing away. He got to see the second issue as well, 
And he told Davey, he goes, let this be a lesson to you that you, your benchmark is the issue before, that you have to try and do what you can to make that issue better than the one that, that happened beforehand. And so that's kind of been their, uh, their mantra over there on the editorial side. And I was just lucky. I was at Hightork for 21 years. And the idea of changing to go somewhere else was not even on my radar at first, but somehow, some way, some things happened to make it to make it possible, and it's been a really, really cool thing because I knew that the product itself was great. I didn't have to worry about that. So when I went on a mission to get it on the newsstands and a new printer, and and of course the advertising background that I've had for all these years, nobody could say anything really bad about Racer X except that it was small because it was new but they were putting boxes of the magazines in in the Fox's shipments and no fear shipments and people were buying ads and so they were getting some circulation out and then I was able to with the connections that I had and so forth to be able to help them and uh, and do what I do for them which is the business side of the magazine I other than if they need to ask me about old stuff, old history. I'm kind of the historian for certain things, um, and I'll write a few things here and there, but that's their babies, the design work. They're very sharp back there. and um, So I don't have to worry about that end of it. I just have to worry about bringing in the money. <laughs> no kidding. And uh, and honestly, I remember the uh, the issues of like the – um, 2005, 2006 through 2008, nine. That that magazine was thick, and not just because Racer X, Racer X Canada was stuffed in the middle. Oh yeah, the Canadian. I loved Racer X Canada. I well, I don't know if you remember that there was a Motocross Action Canada edition did, yeah. that we put yeah. inside Motocross Action back in 1988 or 89. Really? Yeah. I, know that. I did not know that. Yeah, it was an idea that I that I actually did came up with uh, with the help of some Canadian guys from. Uh, they said, you know what, we're just we Cycle Canada is not covering our sport at all. There Still is no coverage, <laughs> and I said, well, you know what, we could do an insert in the middle of the magazine covering. Some of this, uh, some of the Canadian stuff. If I can get some support from some Canadian advertisers, the price won't be as much because it's only going into copies that are going north of the border. So we wound up doing a 32-page insert, and Yamaha Canada, Han, everybody jumped in on it. And um, oh, the guys from Machine Racing, they were really big on this they they helped me a lot gave me the names of the right people to talk to for sure so forth and we did it we did it once and then the second issue we did it again and then i got a cease and desist letter from revenue canada i did not know what we were doing was illegal No idea either. That's incredible. Well, there were uh, there were protectionistic laws on the books to protect Canadian publishers from American uh, publishers coming up there and basically wiping them out. So 
not realizing the fact is that Cycle Canada had no interest in motocross, never covered it, but I was told that that somehow that was how the whistle was blown on it. We had to stop doing it, but then then the the trade laws changed in 2000 and whatever it was, 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. Um, I'm trying to think of, what is it, the WTO or World Trade Organization or something. But now, all of a sudden, it became okay to do that. And that's how Racer X Canada started again. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, all you were trying to do was post some pictures of the rollerball and uh, Al Dick. Yeah, right. And... Uh... And they, they they blew the whistle on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the, but the second the, the second go round in uh, Racerx Canada was a fabulous experience. We had a lot of fun doing it. I wish we were still doing it, um, but it just didn't it didn't work out. Things um, I it's way a whole nother story and not anything to really have to go into. But but I loved our time doing it. I loved when those guys came down and played in our hockey tournaments and stuff like that, and we just had a ball with it. It was a lot of fun. So That's too wild, man. I, I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, pick your brain about motocross, pick your brain about mu- music, yeah. and, and everything in between. Um, uh, I, I look forward to, uh, to the listening to some of your music and, uh, and hearing about the, the Beer League hockey stats, uh, because as you said, up here we do call it Beer League because uh, I guess that's uh, more or less what goes on uh, after, after, the, after a big win. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's a certain rink that we play at, which is a 5,000-seat arena that the, EC- no way. the ECHL team plays yeah. and uh, the Idaho Steelheads. So we get to have one of my house leagues is there at the rink. So it's a pretty big deal to be able to skate on there and great dressing rooms. But even though it's a beer league, you're not allowed to actually have beer on the premises, or at least we have to carry all the empties away when we're all done and make absolutely sure that there's no sign that any kind of uh, imbibing was going on after the game or before. (laughs) <laughs> or before, right? Exactly. There's no. Well, goalies, there would never I mean, be those guys. Well, goalies are a little nuts anyway. But yes. you know, they like to have a few before the game. I'm like, you yes, guys are crazy. I don't. Yeah, not not something I'm into. I like to be. Uh, I, I I'm not the 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 most smoothest skater on on the best of days. So I don't like to uh, uh, impair my chances of having a good game by uh, by by drinking early. But uh, of course, uh, once I've uh, once I've potted a couple of goals and uh, we're, we're celebrating after the game, uh, always a good one. Uh, good good time to grab a cold one and jump in the shower. Yeah. Hey, did you see that video or not the video, but the. That about the ice game up in the mountains in BC, where they brought the helicopters yeah. in and dropped everything down for those guys to skate. Yeah, Mol- Molson uh, Molson Canadian uh, ran that. They they made a rink up in the middle of. Uh, it's actually not too far from uh, British or uh, Vancouver, BC. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was it was kind of like a, a wit like a. A chance to win thing, and uh, incredible. They they they. It was like the the perfect ice rink in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, beautiful ice surface, and um, yeah. Now this this year they're doing the same thing on top of a building in the middle of Toronto. Huh. <laughs> 
Yeah, so super wild, and uh, us us Canadians, we'll we'll do just about anything for hockey. Uh, I know myself when we got our Winnipeg Jets back, I ran down to Portage in Maine, which is the 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 uh, with, that's where Bobby Hall signed his million dollar contract. Right. Of course, everyone knows that it was a four year contract for one million seven. W H the W H A. But uh, when the Jets came back, uh, I actually went down. I, I was partying with all my friends and stuff like that. Ended up actually in uh, a publication by one of the local uh, newspapers of uh, one of the local sports reporters uh, interviewed me and uh, released a book about six months later. It was a bestseller here in Winnipeg. And uh, uh, fortunately, I'm in the first five pages. Fantastic. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. That's, that's but, awesome. Uh, that's awesome. That, that, Love hockey, love motocross, love talking to you, man. Because uh, we we uh, we have a lot in common, and um, it's 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 been a lot, really, a pleasure of mine to uh, just kind of uh, cultivate a bit of a friendship and be able to bring you to my audience. Well, thank you very much. Now, let me ask you this: When will this be broadcast? Uh, as soon as uh, I, we hang up the phone, and uh, don't hang up just as we uh, we, we end the uh, the interview portion. I do need to get some uh, some live reads from you, but uh, yeah, I'll I'll get to editing it immediately. Uh, my goal is to have it uh, released by uh, maybe about uh, a, maybe an hour or two from from now. Oh wow! Uh, I'll send you. Uh, yeah, I, I I get to editing pretty quickly. I've I've gotten pretty good at. Uh, figuring uh, where to put commercials and, and whatnot, and then, uh, yeah, I'll get it released. I will send you the link to uh, to the website, as well as uh, I usually put together a little uh, uh, poster for you to put up on Instagram, and of course, I'll send the link over to my good friend over at uh, RacerX Online, Davey Coombs, who's been uh, kind enough to include some of my links in Racerhead, so uh, hopefully uh, you, you'll be able to find this on your own website. Well, thank you very much. Great. And awesome, man. Well, you have yourself a great day. To all you listeners out there, support those advertisers, whatever they are. Absolutely. Bill's Pipes, W Wheels, uh, Just One Helmets, Fly Racing. We've got to thank all those guys, especially uh, Shades of Grey Helmet Painting and uh, Moto Stuff for hooking up with some uh, some brakes. Go If you want to drop your lap times, you head over to Moto Stuff and uh, hit the brakes a little bit later, a little bit harder with Moto Stuff. Scott Wallenberg, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show, uh, and we'll have you on again. Thank you. Look forward to it. Merry Christmas. Thank Thank you for listening to Big Big MX MX Podcast, Podcast, brought brought to you by by X-Brand Goggles. Goggles. Be sure, Be sure to, to check, check out, out our archive for episodes, episodes you may have missed. Check, check out, out our website, website at BigMXRadio.com for more, more content. content.